Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say Unstoppable, right? You did say Unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on Mission Unstoppable. Can anyone stop these people? Good evening. I am the Unstoppable Coach Frankie Picasso, and you are about to go on another Mission Unstoppable. Tonight, we are going to take a ride on the Freedom Train, and our guide is a woman who is well-versed in history. She's an advocate for justice, equality, and freedom. Tonight, we will look at the Underground Railroad, slavery, abolition, and what goes into planning the longest-running emancipation celebration in North America. We will take a look at the tenacity, intelligence, and courage that it took for those brave folks who risked life and limb to gain a life of freedom, running and hiding for thousands of miles to make the long trek north to Canada. Think we celebrate with their descendants and give homage to the husband and wife team of Lisa and Dennis Scott, who have been the planners and organizers of North America's longest-running Emancipation Celebration Festival for the past nine years. Why do they do it? What can you expect if you attend? Stay tuned, stay close, and we will be right back. This is the Unstoppable Frankie Picasso. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio live on Tuesday, July the 7th. The time in Toronto is 8 p.m., 7 in Chicago, and 5 in Los Angeles. I want to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their work. And I'd like to thank you, you know who you are, for tuning in to me each and every week. I have the phones open now at 646-595-3741. The chat room is open as well. Please feel free to join us and ask any questions or give us, chat, give us a call. My guest tonight is Lisa Scott. She's a life coach, a social justice advocate, and a philanthropist in training. She's married to a fifth-generation black Canadian, her husband, Dennis, who is a direct descendant of slaves who escaped through the Underground Railroad to freedom in the Owen Sound area. They have five children together, and they work side-by-side, side, both in their consulting practice and in their involvement as organizers of the Emancipation Celebration Festival. And I, I think I know a few other things that they do in the community as well. Please welcome Lisa Scott from Mission Unstoppable. Good evening, Lisa. So glad Good to evening, have you here. Frankie. Thank you. So glad to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. And good evening to those of you in the chat room and, and those of you who are listening at home. It's really great to, to have you join us this evening. I'm pretty excited about this show. Lisa, I want to say what a pleasure it is to have you on the show. It's really great that you were finally here. I and, know. We've been um, talking about it for a while. <laughs> I know. I know. I wanted to ask you, though, in your opinion, what is the significant reason for keeping this event going? It's 147th year. Well, I, I think there's a lot of answers to that, but perhaps the most succinct one I could give is that, you know, years ago, um, the descendants came together, the ancestors came together um, for a different reason. Freedom meant something different than perhaps it does today. And uh, mm -hmm. they had, as you so beautifully pointed out, they had endured a lot, they had come through a lot, and it was worthy of a celebration. And as time went on, and because it was such a joyous occasion, it just became something that was handed down from one generation to another. And if that practice wasn't in place, quite frankly, I don't think it would be here today. So it's generation to generation. Wow. Now, you, you know, I, I, I'm going to ask why, you guys have done it for nine years. You and Dennis have organized and planned this event for nine years. That's right. What made you step in and take over as organizers, and why have you done it for so long? What do you, what do you get out of it? Well, I mean, a little humor. His great aunt told us we had to. <laughs> Um, but uh, other than that, I would say that uh, we believe that it's really, really important that all people understand history. And we don't look at this just as black history. We look at it, at it as our Canadian history. And so very often we're talking to people and they'll say, oh, I didn't know that about Owen Sound. I didn't know the rich history that exists there. And mm -hmm. we just thought, what a shame that people aren't aware of that, because there is so much to learn and to know. And I think that's what keeps us passionate about it. 
And, of course, the other thing is we have children. And uh, children need to know what their roots are, um, any children. And so when we go into schools and we talk to children, one of the questions that I ask them is, um, do you know who your grandma and grandpa is? And usually they do. Do you know who their mom and dad were? And as you go back farther, kids don't really know a lot about their history. So this is also about genealogy and about making sure that families don't keep silent, but rather that they pass along the stories and the rich history of that family and our family um, along to the next generation. Well, I find it fascinating that Dennis is a fifth-generation Canadian um, in a country like Canada, <laughs> which, is, which is so based on multiculturalism. You know, even my own children are first-generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I, I've never met anybody fifth-generation. So, so he really is Canadian. He really yes. is. Yeah, you know, one of the original Canadians, and and when we think about history and we think about what it is to be Canadian, maybe it's Dennis who needs to tell us that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he just finished Canada Day, and and I didn't see any really any signs of celebration anywhere. Really. Is that right? Um, yeah, I really didn't. I didn't you even at the grocery at store. House. I didn't even see a sign that said we're going to be <laughs> it's going to be closed. You know, nothing. <laughs> Again, and, and you know my. Again, you know, we've talked about this before. I know about having an identity um, for our children, something for yes. them to grasp. And, and, and so mom will pick up on, on their father's, you know, Italian heritage or my Austrian heritage. Yours will pick up, you know, hopefully, I guess, on, on this black heritage and the significance that it has, Absolutely. you know, in Canada, Absolutely. which is which is really wonderful for them. But what yes. do the other, you know, what, what do other people grasp? And so... This is something that they can, you know, sink their teeth into, this history. It's rich. It's very rich. And exciting. It, it's, it's exciting and it's, it's evolved. So like anything, there's an evolution to it. And so that's what I meant by saying that freedom today means something a little different than freedom back when the, the festival or the picnic first started. So today it also means for us, um, part of our mission is it means food, it means water, it means shelter, it means equal mm -hmm. opportunity. Um, to go to college, to get an education, to do all of those things. And so, you know, it, it's building self-esteem and self-confidence in people so that they mm -hmm. uh, can have an attitude of, yes, I can. And so that's all part of the mission when we talk about community roots and culture. Um, yes, we are a community. We welcome everybody into that community because without all the people that helped along the Underground Railroad, which was a diverse group, uh, we wouldn't be here today, and we certainly wouldn't be talking about Dennis being a fifth-generation Canadian. I sent out a picture today. You sent me a picture of, of Dennis um, with his great-grandmother, his great-grandmother, and her 15 children. Yes, 13 children, was sorry. She, 13 children, sorry. Was yep. she from Owen Sound? She, eventually, that's where she settled. She was originally from England. Okay, and, and she met her husband, her black, she was white, she met her black husband where? In the Owen Sound area. In the Owen Sound area. Yeah, which is and what, um, what more year would commonly they have married? Known, sorry? What year would they have gotten married? What year would they have gotten married? Well, I can give you that. Um, it would have been <laughs> approximately 1894. 1894, okay. Yes. Yeah, and the first the first festival was in 1862, I think. Correct. Okay, so so people had gotten used to, uh, I guess, couples, <laughs> interracial couples, which um, is still very. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't yeah, go that I wouldn't far. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I, two two cousins, um, namely the great grandmother that you see in that picture and her cousin, married two brothers, and okay. those. Those marriages were not were not totally accepted, and certainly any of the children of that marriage, um, and I did have the privilege of knowing a, uh, one of them, uh, mm -hmm. would tell you uh, that you know it was tough. It was very very difficult to be a product of that marriage, as much as as it was difficult for their their mother and their father um, coming together. So. Um, I, I don't think there was acceptance for that, uh, but there was some tolerance, level of tolerance for it. And, and they, did, they did survive and they did do well. Was he a farmer? 
is that what he did, or what did he do in the community? He worked in a quarry, um, which okay. uh, existed in in the Owen Sound area, and unfortunately, that's the way he died. Um, there was an explosion in the quarry, and he was killed in in an accident. Wow. So th that picture is really representative of 1924, which was the year of his death. And uh, those are all his children. Some of them at that point were grown and married themselves. Some of them, as you can see, still very young. Wow, what an incredible picture, though, to have in, in your history Isn't it? book. Your, yeah. Your personal history book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very exciting. Yeah. It must be, yeah, the kids must love to look at those. Had those pictures. Absolutely. They just wow. adore them. One of the interesting um, facts that I picked up about was it was the idea of code um, coming coming along the railroad. And yes. the you know the black the, the slaves they they didn't know how to read or some hadn't even learned English really. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they used this code that they sewed into the quilts um, in order to give them um, maps and, and tell them where to go and, 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 you know, signals about which way to turn and, and somebody's going to wait or there's going to be water ahead or things like that. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. And there's, there must be like 30 symbols, 20 some odd symbols um, representing all different kinds of messages. Are, are any of the quilts available today um, at the festival? They are. There's a couple of ladies who continue to... Um produce some of the quilts, and uh, there is uh, also representation of the quilts and their place in the history at the Cairns, which is in Harrison Park. Harrison Park is where the festival is held, Frankie, and uh, there is a cairn there, which is a memorial to the black history for that area. And what they did was they, they were able to obtain stones all the all the way up through the Underground Railroad, including stones from Africa. And so they built this cairn with those stones, and in the mm -hmm. middle of the cairn are all the different quilt uh, signs reproduced, and they are the floor of the cairn. Oh, wow. So oh, you can actually see that when you come to the festival. You can see the various quilt uh, insignias. And we have some of them around our poster as well um, that right. signal direction, sometimes miles, sometimes where you're headed to, water, etc. And uh, that's what they did. And they were usually, legend has it, as they say, um, held, mm -hmm. were put over the line or put over the porch uh, and people would see them and then follow the signs accordingly. So... It was a real concerted effort, for sure. It really was. And and now, I mean, some some of the um, the some of the history I've read was somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty thousand people were you know came north, and others were up to a hundred thousand people. Do you have any any more statistics or numbers that you think are more accurate? We've run into the same sort of thing in terms of a, a, a real variable in in the numbers, and the issue is, Frankie, that a lot of them were tra very transient. So they came up, and then when it was okay to go back, some of them went back, and some of them stayed because they had made lives for themselves here. So it's really difficult to sort of come up with a, a real solid number. But I would yeah. say that certainly 30,000 is, is, is absolutely a number that we could say um, was achieved during that time, and probably more. Um, and the probably more comes from the ones that were transient. What we do have is if you look at any of the archives in the area, we do have census that, that date back to those times, and a lot of these people are recorded in the census. So that's one useful way of finding out just how many were actually in the Owen Sound or Holland Marsh area is archived. The, um, I think, was it 19... In, in the 1840s, um, somewhere in there, there was about 300 settlers, black settlers. That's right. In the town, living in that area. Yep. Living in that. That's, that's quite a number, really. It is quite a number, and uh, and for there to be still, you know, quite a few descendants 
of those original settlers and those families is is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And this was its most northerly turnus. Yes. So back in those days, um, given its proximity to Georgian Bay, Owen Sound mm-hmm. was more of a deep water um, boating route, and so there was. Uh, and there was also a railroad that went all the way to Owen Sound in in that time. And so they were able to get work, and that was key. Um, mm-hmm. They were able to get work. They were able to have property. And uh, they were able to raise their families um, as a result of that. So I think that what attracted them originally was obviously the opportunity to be free. But after that, it was the opportunity to make a living and... and uh, you know, to, to raise a family. Was there any rules um, at that time a, about education for blacks or anything like that in Canada? I'm not aware of any rules um, specific to education. Um, I do know that a lot of the kids, you know, went for a period of time and then perhaps didn't finish um, because they had to go to work or they had to do other things um, within the family. Um, but they were allowed that to go to happened, the same schoolhouse. That happened to a lot others? of people. Pardon me? Were they allowed to go to the same one room schoolhouse as the other children, as the white children in the neighborhood? Yes. Or in the yep. area? Yeah? Yep. And um, what what I think was less uh, acceptable was, was really um, for them to go into certain professions. For example, Dennis's uh, aunt, his mother's sister, is actually mm-hmm. the first black Canadian nurse in Canada and um, oh, wow. around and I'm I'm just trying to recall dates here Frankie so approximately 1947 yep. she was applying to get into nursing schools and they would not let her in and I have a newspaper article which says imagine um, a patient waking up to find a black nurse looking after them how alarming that would be and so, oh my God. yeah, yeah, and that's in in a Toronto paper. Um, wow. Well, she started a wave during that time frame. She sure did. And finally, um, Guelph accepted her, uh-huh. and she oh. did go to nursing school and she did graduate. But uh, she doesn't like to talk about it today. Um, it's very upsetting for her, and it's not yeah. a time she recalls with any great pride. Um, she feels badly that that's what she had to go through, you know? Yeah, So yeah. Um, we're proud of her, and, and so we should be in terms of her perseverance and her achievement. Mm-hmm. But I think perseverance is a characteristic, which is just a theme all the way through this, this story. You know, if it not for perseverance, is. then there, there wouldn't have been the railroad. There wouldn't have been that constant effort to gain freedom and to regain self-esteem and self-confidence. You know, I'm especially proud of the role of women during that time. I mean, talk about strong women. And, you know, people like Harriet Tubman who went back five and six times to help people. Yeah. Yeah. Women women like her. And, and, you know, to be a pioneer and to to leave on your own and and to know that you're going to be able to, to do it, they were very strong. Very brave. Yes, they were. They certainly were. And took great risks all the time. Yeah. The, um, is there any, I, I know that this specific festival is, you know, has to do with roots and, 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 and history. Is there any specific music that's still around up there today um, in families, perhaps? Well, uh, the one thing that I can say is, you know, ha- having the privilege of, of, of marrying into this family, um, the first thing that I observed was how musical they were and how their social interaction often revolved around that. In earlier mm-hmm. days at Dennis's homestead, for example, um, they would have uh, sing-alongs on Sunday and someone would play the piano and you know, his grandfather would be on the bass, and actually, as Denny was getting a little older, he'd be on the drums. And um, they would, they would, you know, just get together and eat and play music and sing to each other and fool around and have a good time. And in many ways, that is a connection 
back to the time on plantations um, mm-hmm. for their ancestors because what what they did to keep themselves going was to recall their own history and their own past in terms of uh, the drums and, and the music and the dancing and so on. And they had to do it quietly because they weren't supposed to have any kind of noise out there. Um, but they did do it, and they did keep their heritage and their musical connection to Africa, quite frankly, strong, and strong enough so that that has come through, I think, in, in the music of today. And mm-hmm. today, music is still that healing property for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay, we have a guest here. Let me see if I can't bring him on. Okay. Uh, here we go. Good evening. Is this Art? Yes, it is. Hi, Art. It's Frankie here and, and Lisa Scott. How Hi, are you Art. doing? Fine. How are you two this evening? We're well, thank you. I, I'm going to just introduce you, Art. You um, you have a family history of activity on the Underground Railroad um, that's down and, and documented and, and verified in, in your own family. You um, are 23 years retired from the government. And, and as an information systems officer, and you've been researching your own genealogy as well as others um, and family history since that retirement. And you actually teach genealogy at the local community college. You are a father of four, grandfather of five, and you have six great grandchildren. Whoa. Now, how is that? Yeah, now, your, <laughs> your third great grandfather, Lewis Adams, and your fourth great grandfather, Francis Reno, were were conductors on the underground world. Am I correct? Correct. So tell us about what it's like to sit in your family around holidays and talk about these brave folks. What did you learn as a child, and what did you learn as an adult? Uh, I didn't really know about their underground railroad involvement until I became interested in genealogy. And... I ran across a book by a gentleman named Wilbur Siebert, who had done quite a bit of documentation on Underground Railroad and the Underground Railroad activity in Ohio in particular. And in his book, he referenced uh, conductors or operators throughout the state of Ohio, and my Lewis Adams and Francis Reno were mentioned as conductors in Champaign County, Ohio. And from now, there, I, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, these, were, these men were free persons of color. They had, they had, were they born in that county free, or had they no, been there? No, no, Lewis was born a slave in uh, Kentucky in 1785. And he was freed by his owner in 1813, and he migrated into Ohio and settled in Champaign County. His father-in-law, Francis Reno, and his wife were from Canada, if you can believe that. And they migrated into Ohio around 1810 as free persons of color. And Lewis married their daughter, Susan, in Urbana, Ohio, in 1816. So they were not born and bred in Ohio, but both of them, both family lines came out of slavery, one in Kentucky and the other in Canada. Interesting. Yes, it is. You think of the movement going from the lower United States up into Canada, but here we have three persons of color coming from Canada back into Ohio as early as 1810. Have you heard of that before, Lisa? Yes, I have. Why did they do that? um, Because, you know, the biggest, I think, misunderstanding about Canada was that they they were going to come here and no one was going to bother them. the fact of the matter is that one of the attractions for of Owen Sound was it was far enough away from the border that bounty hunters, although they did come up, they didn't often come up that far. So 
so they would come over the border on behalf of owners to try and retrieve runaway slaves. So it often meant, uh, as I mentioned um, before, that they were transient, that you know, mm-hmm. they would move from here and go back to a place that they had heard or knew people that they could network with um, that would help them to, to once again be able to establish a life and, and to make a living. So it's interesting, the migration, but it's not surprising. Are, is there? Have you checked to see if there's manumission papers around in your family anywhere? Yes, I have a copy of Lewis's manumission paper from Shelby County, Kentucky, and it's dated the 15th of March, 1813. Wow, that gives me chills. And yes, it does. And at the time that he was manumitted. During the period of enslavement, he had three children by a slave woman. And on this manumission paper, it uh, stipulated that they were to be freed. But the odd thing about it is uh, Lewis was freed in 1813. One of the children was to be freed in like 1822 another in 1830, and another in 1831. So they weren't they weren't released at the same time that he was released, which I I had, I had never heard of that before. I guess they were they must have been young and he needed some some farm workers. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> could well that, could that, well that uh, yeah that could well be and documentation and DNA kind of leads us to believe that there might have also been a familial connection between Lewis Adams and his slave owner. Not saying that the slave owner was his father, but somebody close to the slave owner another occasion uh, supposedly fathered Lewis Adams. So there may have been some sense of protection between uh, holding on to his children until they were of age to be freed and, you know, had reached their adulthood. There's another very yeah. famous Lewis Adams. Uh, <laughs> any relation, do you know? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I kind of doubt it. Now, Lewis's lifespan was from, like I say, 1785 until 1864. And it was in in Kentucky and Ohio, uh, and he came off of a, I don't want to say plantation, a farm of an Adams slave owner in Kentucky. Now, there may be some connections there that we don't know about, but I, I kind of doubt it. Adams right. is almost like Jones as a surname. Right, right. And it's hard, isn't it, It, when you're trying to trace from a genealogy, because oftentimes they just took names. Um, Yes. They wouldn't have a last name. They'd only have a first name. Uh, And so they would just take names. And so I found, and so some of our family members found it really difficult sometimes to trace the name and try and take them all the way back to which plantation, et cetera, they might have come Mm -hmm. from. That's very true. What about their African name or their clan or, or, or county or did anybody ever use that to, to find other people, um, to identify themselves to other groups of people waiting to be found? I, that I, I don't doubt. I, I don't know. But uh, in Lewis's case, when we eventually found his burial site, in a uh, cemetery in Champaign County, we also found a reading of that cemetery that was taken in like 1924, and one of the markers read Sibba, mother of Lewis Adams, age 68 or something to that effect. Mm So his mother's name was Sibba, which has sort of an 
African sound to it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there may have been, and we're talking 1785 for his birth, which would place her being born maybe in the uh, 1770s, mid-1760s. So there may have been an African connection there, but if there is, I haven't been able to find it. And I think they were probably discouraged if they even remembered their, their African names. They were discouraged mm -hmm. from using them a lot of the time, too. Um, True. So those were replaced, um, unfortunately. And, uh, and so that makes it equally hard to, to kind of follow things back. True. Francis Reynolds, um, he sounds French. Do you, do you know if he was French? Well, it, uh, it, yes, uh, it does sound French. And the, the pronunciation that came down through our family was not, uh, as it's spelled, R-E-N-O. The pronunciation was Reno, mm -hmm. like, like R-E-Y-N-O, or maybe mm -hmm. some French version of Renault. R-E-N-A-U-L-T. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't I haven't been able to uh, verify that as such. Now, uh, so there's being from Canada. There's there's a strong possibility that they were in maybe French speaking Canada, mm -hmm. and there could be some there could be some connection there. But I I haven't been able to uh, uh, scout that out yet. No, I was just going to say that I, I'm going to have to put you together with uh, my husband's cousin who has the handle of the Jean Queen, and uh, she is out of California, Art, mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what she does. This is all she does. So uh, she has quite a, um, she has forayed quite far into what what is now the Quebec area, um, looking for her own relatives and some of ours. Um, and there were quite a, a few. Pardon me? Does she have a website? She does, and what I can do is after the show, I'll send it off to you. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah. and Feel I'm free to say it on the show if you want to, Lisa. I, I don't have it in front of me, frankly, okay. so therefore okay. I don't have it off by heart. So I'll, I'll, okay. I'll send it off for sure right after the show. Now, are you from Canada, Lisa? I'm originally from England, um, but uh -huh. now, yes, I am from Canada, and and I am a Canadian. And, okay. Uh, so, um, I'm I love genealogy. I love uh, history. Uh, always oh. have, and I just happen to marry into a family that uh, lets me be follow my passion. Okay. Rich with it. <laughs> well, Lewis's wife was born in Canada, and. Uh, around 1785, 1790, okay. and she was born in the, uh, she was born in Sandwich, Ontario, Canada, which is, which is, I later found out, which is uh, a village within the confines of Windsor, Ontario, okay. Canada. That makes sense. There's a lot oh, okay. of Okay, okay, that there. makes sense. Lot of yeah. 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 Lots of lots of black families. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Uh, so what did your children feel about this and your great grandchildren? Art? Are they excited by this? Are, does it make them want to delve into history more, their own personal history? Are they? Um, do they feel um, a sense of pride knowing this? When I start, you think or? When I start talking genealogy, their eyes just glaze over. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and here he goes again. Oh, no. but, uh, you have to grow into it, Frankie. Yes, yeah. you do. Yeah. And, and one of my efforts is has been to... Uh, continue the documentation and put it all into a genealogy software package and make books for them. And once that they do, if they ever become interested, then they won't have to do all of the groundwork that I did. You know, it's 
there for them, and they can take the research a little further, hopefully. Right. And we have a similar situation in that one of those 13 children in that picture, um, Beatrice, she did, uh -huh. she did the same thing for our family. So we have about oh. six binders. Um, okay. And she was able to go back into the 1700s um, uh -huh. and and trace trace family. So um, in our particular case, um, most of the folks were on Maryland plantations. Okay. And uh, my husband's great-great-great-grandfather, um, being an earl, um, okay. actually, legend has it, that he played his way out of slavery with his violin. That makes sense to me. Oh, wow. And, makes sense and, and then ended up in the Owen Sound area. Okay, that makes sense to me. That must have been tougher than to go so far north. It was so cold and, and, oh, yeah. and it must seem so foreign and, and bare and Yeah. Well wow. they had to get they had to get well from the east this part of the United States, they had to get above <laughs> the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. And as Lisa had said earlier, uh just because you crossed the river did not mean that you were safe because of the fugitive slave laws where it was legal and 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 required of the citizens of Ohio and any other state above the Mason-Dixon line. It was illegal for them to harbor runaways, and if the slave master or slave catchers or whatever you want to call them came north to uh, attempt to recapture these runaways, citizens were obligated legally to aid in the recapture of these runaways. Absolutely. So, yeah. even in another country? Yes. Even yeah, yeah, they could take them out of out of Canada into the yes. states. Yes, and yes. Did yes, regularly. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, what, they're, what kind of a bounty would would somebody pay to re, to get their slave back, or did it matter alive, or do they want them? It depended alive, on what they felt what, they were what, worth. Yeah, uh -huh. when you yeah when you when 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 you read a when you read a slave inventory. Oh, I know. And the dollar value put on the mm -hmm. individual slaves. Uh, you would be amazed at the return money, so to speak, because a, a slave, a runaway, could be worth two, three thousand dollars. Yep. Really? Yep. Then, wow, that's like a fortune. It was exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they were, they were motivated to do it. Holy moly! You had just lost a very valuable piece of property. And no exactly. And that's a lot of yeah. effort to go after somebody like that, you know, to go thousands of miles or a thousand miles or even a hundred miles, you know, on a horse and, and to grab somebody to look for somebody and, and bring them back. And and how would they have identified these folks? How would they, they know who was who? How would they identify the, how would they identify the runaways? Now, yeah. who, 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 who's doing the identifying? The, the people, hunter. the bounty hunter. Uh, he would probably have a physical description of the runaway, and Any physical it, marks or anything. I was going to say, and it was not uncommon for slaves to be marked and/or branded. Yep. Right. Just, just like cattle. Or other farm animals. Frankie, there's so, some, they're not related to our family, but we've got some pieces um, on display at the museum where they describe um, a slave that's for sale. And and just when you read how they're described, um, it just it's just so it dehumanizes. I mean, it, there's wow. no other way to to put it. And the same thing applies to when they were describing them if they w had run away. Um, there was no value placed on them as a human being. There was value placed on them as a, as a tool, as, as part of, of their inventory, mm -hmm. if you will. So it really was 
the lowest of low in terms of how these people were treated. Yeah, when 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 you read descriptions of some of these people, it's it's not uncommon for the description to say something like a finger missing, mm -hmm. blinded in one eye, a scar down the forehead. So you don't you don't know how they 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 acquired these infirmities or deformities. But uh, it wasn't often that you did not read these, as, as uh, Lisa's saying, these horrifying descriptions of these people. Are you, you, are you living pretty much in the same area as those great-great-grandfathers of yours? Who, within, within, within 15 miles. And how's your life growing up as a black man in that area? Did, did you... Um, encounter a lot of racism or did, were they just used to you guys living there or how, how was it for you? You're kind of a hero, you know. For, for me, uh, well, I'm in mid, mid uh, what they call West Central Ohio. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and when I was growing up, uh, uh, it was the de facto segregation things. Mm -hmm. uh, there were uh, places where you weren't served, you know, the public accommodations type thing. Sure. Even though, even though I went to uh, an integrated school, uh, there were oh, yeah. certain there were certain levels <laughs> of, of of achievement that you knew were beyond your grasp because of your color. Or your race, and in, uh, wow, you know, in 1972, um, I I was I'd lived in Canada for you know well, 15 years maybe. Um, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and it was the first year of segregation, of desegregation, in in the high yeah. school that I went to. It was a big high school, 3,000 kids. Yeah. It was a culture shock, Lisa. Coming from Canada, how, how you know, we had interacted, how it's so multicultural, mm -hmm. and then to move there and, and see these kids being bussed in from areas, I mean, they didn't live anywhere near that school, mm -hmm. but they decided mm -hmm. they were going to integrate that school, and, and I happened to be in that first wave, and it was, it was really something, because I'd never really encountered racism before. I really hadn't in, in that way. And when I yeah, went on to college into St. Louis, I, it was a bigger shock. Well, it was, oh my God. you can't walk down that street. Don't walk down that street. You're white. Mm -hmm. you know, my, my roommate was black, and she said, you can't go home with me. I live in East St. Louis. They'll just kill you. And I, you know, I took somebody in East St. Louis. And then I had another roommate who went with me, and we were going to rent a house. For, we were in university. And, and the owner of the house said, is she going to live with you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, and he put the price up like $400. You know, I mean, I've never, it was, it was really unheard of for me to encounter that before. It was, but, you know, the thing that I've noticed um, over these last years is that, you know, it existed here. It was just a little deeper, frankly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because I know that when Dennis came out of university and went to Toronto um, from there, he was looking for apartments like most young men are. And invariably, he would walk up and, and um, you know, the sign had just gone in the window, but when he got there, it had just been rented. And, mm. you know, that, that kind of thing happened quite a bit. So it was there. It just wasn't as in your face, and it wasn't in our institution. You know, we never mm -hmm. segregated. So we, mm -hmm. we weren't exposed to that. But I have to yeah. say that it was there and it is there, and that's why all of this is important. You know, as much as knowing our history is important, um, we still have more education that we can do um, and, and more towards um, that, that world that, uh, uh, that Martin Luther King dreamed of. Yeah, well, my, my, my family stressed education, uh, pushed it very hard. When 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 I graduated from high school, number ten in a class of like two hundred and some, Good for you. 
and I went to get a summer job in a plant in my hometown with uh, some white fellows who graduated with me. Mm-hmm. The well, they call him human relations person today, but the person in the employment office then gave those fellows application blanks to fill out, and she told me that we have no need for janitors. Oh, so, my goodness. So, yeah. you, you know, that those kinds of things make you... Uh, make you want to get out of town, go 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 somewhere else, get yourself an education, and uh, try to get a, above and beyond those kinds of situations. But uh, that was the thing that really smacked me in the face was we were okay as kids, but once we graduated from high school and was ready to get into the job market, and be competitive, then there were no holes barred. The racism really came out mm-hmm. at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you worked as an information systems officer with the government. How did you manage to get that job? Uh, well, with the degree, of course, and for several years I was what they called underemployed. And when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed and the riots and so forth hit the streets, the federal government then in their wisdom decided that we had to put some people of color into some more responsible positions. So there I was with a degree and underemployed, (laughs) and all of a sudden, Management training programs opened up for me, okay. and I was I was fortunate enough to uh, take advantage of it uh, at that time only because I had the degree. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Art, Lisa and I were talking about the role of women. I don't know if you got to hear that or not before you came on. How has has have women made any impact in your life and in your family's lives and those around you that you've noticed um, even as far back as your ancestors um, with the Grand Road? Did they play an important role, their strength, their their courage, character? Oh, yes, definitely. Most, when I I was growing up uh, in this little town, uh, most women of color, the, 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 the mothers and the aunts of all of all of my friends, uh, strong church women, and they worked as domestics, and they really kept the family uh, together. They were they were the really the, the the steady source of income. They always had employment, but the, but the men would be laid off and fired and whatever at the whim of. Uh, of whoever, but the 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 women in the community, the black women in the community, were really the strength of the black community when I was growing up. Uh, tremendous influence, nothing but strong women in my family and outside of my family. What would you tell? What do you want to tell youth today about being black? you want to tell them about um... well you, you don't want to get in you don't want to get I don't I don't think you want to get into as I call them war stories but you want to impress upon them the the struggles that their forefathers had gone through to get them into the kinds of positions that they can get into today yeah. um, I have a son who graduated from Columbia University. Wow. And I and I was the first member of my family to even go to college. And this was back in the mid fifties. But just in that time period was able to provide for the family, move up and this kid was able to uh go on and, and, and really do something with his life. So you'd say education is 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 the the key. It's one of the, yeah, it's one of the keys. It, it's 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 the key to get you out. But you got to have the strength and right. the determination.
determination and the wherewithal to uh, uh, set a goal and educate yourself to achieve that goal. Did you have to deal with, with the so-called toxic relationships, people who want to keep you back, who said, oh, you know, what you think you're better than us, why would you go to college, why would you try to get educated, why don't you just be like the rest of us? Did you have to deal with stuff like that? Uh, not as much as I see it happening today. When I was coming up, people in the community were were pushing you out, were pushing you to get to go that extra step to get that additional education, to to to, to better yourself, to be to be above what we were not better than us. But above us in the economic I think all strata. did that back then. You know, I, don't you, Lisa? I mean, what was that, Frankie? In, in my family, and you know, many families back in in the 50s, 60s, they they did push their children. They they always they worked hard so their children didn't have to. They wanted each generation to be better than than the last. Absolutely. What do you see happening um, education-wise today in the families that you teach in the school, teachers that you speak to? Is education is important? To, to it, depends on, it, was. it depends on what the messaging is. I mean, I agree with Art that we have to know the history so that we know what others have done in order to be where we are today, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in some families, they still kind of preach the struggle continues. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know how I believe um, philosophically mm -hmm. If you believe that you're going to survive, then that's exactly what you do. You'll survive. Well, I don't mm -hmm. raise my five children to survive. I'm raising them to strive. Mm -hmm. So I, I want them to strive to be the best that they can be at whatever they choose to do. And, mm -hmm. and yes, they've been impressed. Um, it's been impressed upon them, the value of education and the doors that it opens. And the rest has to come from within them. And mm -hmm. in order for them to do well, they need to get positive messages. They mm -hmm. need to they need to know that they can do things. And I mm -hmm. know it's recent history, but you know I'm so excited about Obama because that gave me a validation to say, look, at, there's a young man who was raised to believe that anything was possible, and look mm -hmm. at what he achieved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. You know, that, that's where I come down on it. And I, I think that there are still some families that are perpetuating the struggle rather another, than striving for better mm -hmm. things. Another brush with history on my family line is that my son was a freshman at Columbia during Obama's senior year. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. At Columbia. And we have a cousin who was at Princeton with Michelle Obama and went through law school at Harvard with Barack Obama. <laughs> wow. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. So we got all these Forrest Gump type things going on here. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, our, uh, this 140 South Emancipation Festival and the website, let me just say that really quickly. The website is www.emancipation.ca. Please go mm -hmm. and visit if you can. You're in Ohio. You're not very far away from Owen Sound. Do you think that, Are you that coming this to is party with us, might come visit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want to party with us? <laughs> we, now, we, we, we used to get up to, we used to get up to Buxton. Did you? That's my good friend Jeff Shad's family. On the Labor Day weekend? Yes, yes. The big festival that they have? Yep. Yeah, we used to get up there. Well, it's been eight or ten years since we've been there the last time, since the last time we were there. But, uh, yeah, Canada's not... Well, I don't know. I, I have to get a passport now to get in, don't I? That's true. I think you do. That's true, you do. I think you, you do. do. Yes. Listen, I, the keynote, my, I just want to say, Frankie, I, my son has handed me the uh, website for, for the Gene Queen. <laughs> oh, great. And look okay. at this. <laughs> How hard is this? TheGeneQueen.com. There we go. <laughs> I'm assuming that's G-E-N-E. G-E-N-E. Queen.com. That's where I wrote it down. The lady you're writing to is Lisa Lee.
Uh, I know Lisa. Do you? I know Lisa. I just got an email from Lisa today. All right. Well, you oh my go back to her and tell her I was just talking to your cousin Lisa, Dennis's wife. Okay. Okay. <laughs> How exciting wow. is that? that we were just so talking funny. about connections. Oh my god. At the beginning of the show. Oh my goodness. Wow. Look at that. Wow. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Lisa's. That's only one degree. We'll be at the festival. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lisa's 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 connection to Canada is the same place and the same time. That's right. As as my Reno's, her her Lee ancestors yes. were in primarily the same area at one point in time. That's right. In the very early 1800s. When you said that, I thought of her and I thought of that area. So isn't that funny? That is sure the is. area. Wow. Good for and that. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then I want to find out who who's, who the top liners are at this big okay. shindig. Yep. Ask your question, Art. Go ahead. Oh no! When when you said when you said Jean Queen, I was saying, wait a minute! Now I wonder if that's Lisa. And I'm through with it now. Okay. Well, hang on, hang in there with us, and we'll just we'll hear Lisa. Who's who, who are we going to come and listen to? Who are we going to see? What are we going to see? Okay. So um, on the Friday night, which is the opening activity. Uh, mm -hmm. That's at the museum, and that's the Grey Roots Museum in Owen Sound. And there is uh, a black history exhibit that they do during that time, along with the art show is located at the museum. So there's a lot to see from a historical mm -hmm. perspective and from um, celebrating uh, some of the uh, African-Canadian artists. Um, we also have Leslie McCurdy, who is from the Buxton area, and she does a one-woman show, uh, The Spirit of Harriet Tubman. So she'll be performing. And we have Brian Walls, who uh, is uh, himself a, future, a fugitive slave descendant and uh, curator of the Underground Railroad Museum in Amherstburg. And uh, he's written a book, so he's going to be speaking to, to the book. And then we head over on Saturday to Harrison Park in Owen Sound. And... That's where uh, the picnic is held, and to your point, Frankie, we have a, a, an amazing blues, jazz, uh, R&B lineup, and this wow. year that will include Blackburn, um, who nice. you've seen yourself with me, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and uh, they're, they're on the web right now because they're going to be opening for Mavis Staples tomorrow. Oh, wow. Um, so they're Toronto's best kept secret for sure, Eugene Smith. Uh, will be there, uh, who used to be with the warm-up band, and Eddie Bullen, uh, who is an awesome uh, piano player, and uh, his mentor was uh, Oscar Peterson, and he plays nice. uh, very reminiscent of Oscar. Uh, Bobby Dean Blackburn, who is the father of the Blackburns, uh, who has started a lot of artists here in Canada, including a lot of American artists. Um, uh, and Michael Dunstan is one of those, and he'll be there as well. So there's uh, a huge lineup. Starts at two in the afternoon for the music, and just keeps going all day with food and crafts and artwork and books, history books available, novels available, all storytelling. Uh, so lots of opportunity for kids to uh, to play and to absorb history and to walk around and uh, make the genealogy connections. Wow. Art yeah. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yeah. It's been great, great having you. Art. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And, uh, and Lisa. And Lisa. Thank and, you, too. Uh, and we know common people. <laughs> How about yeah, that? isn't you, that great? You certainly do. What a great I'll connect world. you two after the show. I'll okay. connect you two. We're, we're just about out of time. Uh, www.emancipation.ca is the website if you want to uh, go and have a look. I highly recommend that you guys come and join us. Lisa and I will both be up there having yep, some fun. Yep, and the lineup <laughs> is on there, Frankie, but also there's accommodation information. So if folks are looking to go up there, there's some wonderful places still available to stay um, in the Owen Sound and Sabo Beach area. Beautiful. Well, thank you both again for, for being on the show tonight, and hopefully um, folks will come and join. How many people are expected? Uh, we are averaging anywhere between 800 and 1,000. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Good 
so, for you. Um, and and the year we took it over, there was a hundred. Well, yeah, that just shows how great you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Truly. just when you build things that people are interested in and you encourage them, um, yeah, then they come. come. And uh, so that's what's happening, and and we're Fantastic. we couldn't be happier. We're out of time, guys. Thank you I again know. for joining me. And thank you to the, everybody in the chat room and everybody who's listening today and afterward. It's, thank it's you. It's really great having you here. Thanks again, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night, Art. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.